Hello, Kristen here. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you that the antidote is a thing that's happening. It's a series of monthly gatherings that will help you return to your body and your being over and over again in the face of, you know, 2024, election insanity, climate change, global wars, your own personal stuff, other stuff. It's crazy out there. And it's easy to abandon yourself and freak out. The antidote is for bringing you home to yourself so that you can be safe in your being even when the world outside of you feels objectively unsafe. And because everybody's marketing at you and there's no reason for you to believe me, you can head to jointheantidote.com to grab a free recording of the first session that happened this week so you can feel it instead of thinking about it to see if it's a good match for you. That is jointheantidote.com. Scroll all the way down and you will see a place to pop your email address in and grab the recording. You are not allowed to fall at the feet of the muse and play victim. You are called to show up, to give it time, commitment, playmates. It isn't great work because it's easy. It's great work because it is only yours to do. You will fall down and you will let yourself down without a doubt. You will get back up and it will be okay without a doubt. You will do your work and it won't be the thing everyone else understands or the thing grandma wishes you would do or the thing your partner keeps pushing at you to make a few extra bucks. It's the thing you deny, the thing you run from, the whisper you pretend doesn't exist so you can get through one more day. It calls to you, softly, loudly, at inopportune moments, when you're sleeping and when you're fresh from dreamland, in the shower, on the subway, in line at the store. It will be a struggle. It will be simple and complicated all at once, like doing cartwheels in your underwear when you should be adulting or skipping out on responsibility to make art that feels like running through the rain. It will be, quite simply, worth it. Hello and welcome to this episode of That's What She Said, in which I interview Jeanette LeBlanc, who is kind of the writer's writer, a muse and a writer and a phenomenal human, and we talk about all of these things. We talk about doing the work, we talk about resisting the work, what all of that means, and all the beautiful ways that we creative people show up in the world and then hide from the world and then, you know, show up in the world again. (laughs) So all of those things together is what we'll be talking about this week. So without further ado, let's uh, get to it. Hello, kids and kittens and listeners and lovely people. I am here with uh, the one and only Jeanette LeBlanc, who has taken time out of her busy day to be with us. So hooray, hi. Hi. How are you today? I'm good. Good. I'm so good. So how would you um, describe yourself these days? Um, So many different ways. Writer, first and foremost. Um, I have been telling people lately that I mostly work with, but I'm not a writer. So I love both using words myself to reach people and then help people find the words that they're um, so desperately seeking so they can tell their own story. And in previous lives, I have been a photographer and a doula and a clinical research coordinator and a stay-at-home mom and 
and and a nonprofit director. So take your pick. Well, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> What's the first thing you remember writing? My journal, probably my very angsty. Um, and I actually found some of these when I went home and, and read them to my daughter, and she's absolutely horrified at my horrible, angsty, rhyming teenage poems and worries <laughs> that I would never find a date and love was lost to me. <laughs> the rest of the <laughs> But I remember um, at a very young age reading somewhere that Lucy Maud Montgomery, who wrote Anna King Gables, and I'm from eastern Canada, so there's a connection there, wrote her journal knowing that people would read it. And so I think with my delusions of grandeur, I always had that idea slightly in my head that I was never just writing for myself. (laughs) (laughs) Someday when I'm famous, you will give a shit about them. Exactly. You're going to read my angsty teenage poetry. (laughs) That's so much fun. So did you get good grades in in poetry and like in writing and English? Were you you an academic that way or like science? I have a science degree. So I really? took one I English course you. because I was forced to under duress and, and hated it. I always, um, my literature teachers always disliked me because I would go ahead and read the whole book in class while they were teaching and then um, never really liked the whole idea that I had to analyze words um, and that there was a right or wrong answer to, to what they were supposed to mean. So I always had a kind of a love-hate relationship as a voracious reader, couldn't get enough of words, but the whole idea of learning it the way it was taught to me was didn't click. Yeah. So when did you first realize that um, that that writing was the thing that you wanted to claim as your thing? Um, I started writing online when I was pregnant with my daughter, who is going to turn 14. Oh, my God. <laughs> In a month. <laughs> a month from yesterday. Uh, and that's the first time I remember taking a voice and putting it out there into the world, but it took a long, long time before I was able to move from someone who writes to claiming the word writer for myself. And I, I couldn't tell you when that happened, um, somewhere along the path. For a long time, I was a photographer who wrote. I mean, I know you and I, Kristen, when we originally connected, I was desperately trying to grow a photography business and could never mm-hmm. quite make it click. Ha ha, that was a good one. Right. <laughs> um but I remember at some point, and I think it was when I was going through my divorce and I was packing to move, I found a paper from college that I'd written for um, an anthropology course that I was taking as an elective. And I read it, and I went, oh, wait a minute. That's still my voice. Like, I recognized myself from all those years ago when I was writing, you know, I think I was writing about, of all things, the phenomenon of big hair. <laughs> it was a media course. <laughs> but but I could still I could still I could read it and this was a me who was in science who so was going to you know either go to grad school or get a job in a lab and there had no intention or no connection to writer as something that I was um, and the essential pieces of my voice that are still present today were there in that piece of writing and I think it because it was a different kind of course I wasn't writing academically and so that was one of those moments where I went huh there's something going on here. <laughs> It's some breadcrumbs yeah. I need to follow. Yeah. And then did you then proceed to ignore that completely for a bunch of years? I think I'm still somewhat ignoring that completely. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. It's 
are. And I can say this to you because you know, you know, and, and I'm I'm interested to see where this interview is going to go because I know that you know my resistance is a fierce force and one to be reckoned with. So um, I told someone recently that I am both called to writing and resist it probably in equal measures and that balance tips from, from moment to moment and day to day and month to month, but it's always a push-pull. Yeah. See, that's fascinating to me. Um, you're going to hate me a little bit because I don't have that. I always and But I, but it means that when people talk about it, I don't really understand it. Like I understand that some days you don't want to do it, but I don't understand that it's, um, it's just so big and scary that you can't even begin. Is that what it is? Like what is talk, what, would well, talk to me about it because everybody has it at some point. You just are really good at it. <laughs> I'm really good at resistance. I'm an expert. You are. You're like <laughs> fucking amazing at it. So talk to me about it. Like what is? I've never, what I've is never it fun that in a like? life. So thank you, Kristen, for validating. Um, like, you, well, I, I'm an expert in like eating sugar. If anybody needs to know like when it's going to do a really bad thing to you or how or like on it, right? Um, I'm really good. You were an today, I've eaten, today I've eaten three um, pieces of chocolate fudge. So that's an egg. Uh, <laughs> so well, we, we can talk about that too. Um, to me, I think often my writing, and this is not in some kind of self-deprecating way, but it doesn't feel like it comes from me. It comes through me. And so I think mm-hmm. sometimes the force of that, that outside thing, and the closest I've come to understanding it is Elizabeth Gilbert's TED Talk on mm-hmm. genius and creativity, and I'm sure a lot of people have seen it, and if you haven't, please go watch it, but she talks about the concept of how um, we we claim genius as something we have and something that's us, and that the older concept of genius was something outside of you that works for you. And so I think um, there's that piece, that it's, it's big enough that I don't fully understand it. I mean, I go back to my journal, and sometimes I actually have to Google things I've written down to make sure that I wrote them and not somebody else, because... I don't remember writing them or where they came from or even have context for them. And and I'll read it and I'm like, dang, that's good. Did I, I write yeah. that? What do I do with this? Um, so that's part of it. Um, and then the other part is I think feeling, and I actually spoke with a, a coworker at my day job about this this week. Um, when you have something that is a calling, you know, you know what you're here on this earth to do, um, there's a responsibility that you have to it. And with my writing and the people I tend to write to, I get a lot of messages and emails, and they give me credit for some pretty big stuff that I have a really hard time. I, I am both humbled and grateful, and, and I also want to push it away because it's too big for me to hold on to, the responsibility for what these words have done or provided or are meaning to people. Um, so I think that's part of it, too. Mm. And now I so it's just as much it's just as much the work as it is the uh the effect that the work has in the world. Mhm. Yeah, I think that that sometimes you know I think that I've come in contact with a lot of creatives who have this fear of of what can happen if they fully step into that. Um because it seems like such a big thing or such an uncontainable thing. Like, what if I really unleashed my writing? What if I really gave myself to this? What could happen? And am I ready for it? And do I know what to do with it? 
um, and, and not in an egotistical way, like, oh, if I really unleash my writing, then I'm going to be a best-selling novelist by next year and have tons of fame and fortune. Not in that way. Um, but it's kind of this big unknowing. Yeah. And so I resist, and I had. And then there's the, then there's the you know, boring, mundane part of writers not wanting to write. That, that's the easy part to sum up. Yeah, but that's not nearly as interesting, and that's not the, no, the thing behind the thing is just, the is that's just yeah, like not what wanting I really to go to the gym. <laughs> yeah, like okay, got it, got it. But the yeah. what if I really unleashed? What would happen? That's mm-hmm. fascinating. <laughs> okay, so I spend a great deal of time running and hiding from it, which you already know. Yeah, but other people don't know, so um, no, you can just out yourself and then. It, I think, I don't know when it, I mean, uh, I think that I came out in Phoenix and we like hung around in a garbage dump, like five In a junkyard. It was not a garbage dunk. Five, five <laughs> or six years ago. It was a long time. You've got to give context for that story because that sounds really weird. Uh, it was really awesome. We did headshots in a junkyard. And why wouldn't you? Um, why wouldn't? They were phenomenal. But I think that was five years ago, maybe. Five or six, yeah, probably. Yeah, it, was, okay. it was a while. And you were a photographer, and I was like, I like these better than my wedding photos because they look like me. Um, I know that was that was one of my greatest testimonials. How was that one? <laughs> so good, right? But you were writing then. You've been writing for over thirteen mm-hmm. years, and so mm-hmm. so what is it? So do you have? If you ever listened to. Um, articles with Liz Gilbert or listen to interviews, she really, mm-hmm. really resisted getting paid for writing. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. until she was on the the New York Times bestseller list for more than a year that she mm-hmm. gave up her day job. <laughs> yeah, I read that piece. That was so interesting. Um, it was just like, whoa, you were really committed to not letting the muse make you any money. Right. Is that part of it or no? I don't know. I think that I think my money issues and money blocks are entirely separate and definitely present and um, untangling them is something <laughs> I'll probably be working on for the rest of my life. I think that um, not poor, but but ever so slightly to moderately broke is a comfort zone for me. So that's definitely another part of resisting the business side of it, um, which, you know, we've had numerous conversations about over the years of I know exactly what I should be doing, and I help other people do it often, but um, Mm -hmm. don't necessarily do it myself. So I am the perfect candidate for your your class. So what are you going to do in Calling to the Deep? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I need to write. I need to write. I have, I pulled up last night. So last night I did, I have my Calling the Muse ritual, which involves whiskey and red candles and and music and all of this um, external stuff that doesn't really matter except it's my signal to sit down. And usually I just open all of these unfinished documents that I have until I find one that's fixed and then I start writing. And and just the realization hit me last night of how many unfinished pieces are sitting on this computer waiting to be written and how many little from, you know, from one line to several pages worth. Um, and so what I need to do is write. I need to write, and then the secondary part of that is putting the writing out into the world. And I just need to commit to it. Stop. Okay, so what are you committing to? 
by the time people hear this, we will be mid <laughs> So what are you committing to? Well, I always have this pull between making these grand commitments and then the rush and craziness in, um, of life, uh, because I do have the, you know, I'm a full-time job and I'm a single mom. And so half of the time I have my kids with me, but it's just with me. And I find it very easy to push the writing to the absolute end of the list. So what I need to figure out is, is first what I want. You know, what I want is to sit alone in a room and, and write for hours every day, which is not going to happen. So what's actually realistic given the life that I'm living and where do I find that time and how do I make it stick this time? So I don't know if I have a specific yeah. number, um, but I need to find, you know, just like with a yoga practice or a meditation practice, I need to find a way to make that work for me instead of it feeling like it's working against me. Um, yeah. And I feel like someone a word recently, that I, Go ahead. Um, I said to someone recently that my struggle is trying to figure out, you know, I want eventually my writing to support my life. And right now I'm struggling to find out how to make my life support my writing. Um, so if there's one thing I'd like to come out with is not a certain number of words or even a certain number of words written a day, but that feeling that I've, I've recommitted to this in a, in a much more distinct and definable way and that there is something to answer to. And that at the end of this, I will be in a different place than I started. I haven't quite figured out what that commitment is yet, and so maybe perhaps in the, in the midst of this call, we will find our way to it. Yeah, well, it's, it doesn't help to give a word count to poetry mm-hmm. because that's just True. fucking useless. Some of my best poems are like, you know, nine words. So mm-hmm. um, you're probably more of a time thing, like you get half mm-hmm. an hour every day versus right. a, like you have to have 500 words. It's like, no, like 500 words of poetry is technically a whole volume. <laughs> no, um, that seems good. So tell me about um, the – Get in an ideal world, the magic ritual that comes with right before you write, what happens? Um, it's not just solitude during writing, but I find to get to that space, I need several hours of solitude. And I say need. That need can also function as an excuse not to write. So in an ideal world, though, um, I get the time to unwind and detox and decompress from whatever else has happened and, and work my way into that space. Um, mm-hmm. It sometimes involves reading other people's writing or listening to music or, you know, reading something from my bookshelf or, or just sitting and vegetating. And then when I start to hear the call, I do. I, there's often red wine or whiskey involved. Um, I have red candles and stones and driftwood and things from the sea that sit in front of me. Um, I'm almost always on my couch. I write in the same place. Um, I find the right music, like I'll, I'll hunt around Spotify and, and wait till the song comes on. A lot of my writing is triggered by music, so there's a deep connection. Um, it's always at night. I rarely write in the daytime. So that, that could be interesting because the most likely scenario um, for me committing to something for 69 days is to find a very early morning time that I commit to. So that would be an interesting shift. Um, but yeah, that would be less days. whiskey and more more spicy tea or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who knows what I'd write then? I don't know. Um, the wolf doesn't travel as much in the early morning hours. 
so yeah, that, um, but that is, that's the scene I set for myself. And the ritual is part of what reminds me that now it's time. Now is writing time, um, and to let the rest fall away. And so it sometimes seems like this magic conjuring thing and, and other times just seems like a purposeful habit. When I do these things, especially when I'm resisting, I often say, okay, I have to, I have to light the candle, light the candle first. Um, I don't even always drink the whiskey. The confession, I, I just got less cool. Um, <laughs> no, I'm totally okay with it, that. Even the boring of it. Pardon me? I'm totally okay with that. You didn't get less cool. <laughs> yes, but, you know, if you look for the whole the whole genre of drunk literary. You're failing as a drunk. I mean, you are. Just, you're fucking failing. I'm failing. Right I'm failing as a... As a, as a yeah. Um, but there's something about all of those pieces and finding the right music that conjures the right mood that, that calls my news. And um, sometimes we kind of do a stare-down contest over the computer screen. And um, sometimes I switch to pen and paper down to pen and, and plain white paper with no lines. And then that'll bring, that'll bring the words that I can't get out typing. Um, and then other times something will catch. I'll, I'll open document after document, and there might be 20 or 30 documents open. And finally I'll hit one, and I'll be like, that's the one tonight. And then I'll just start writing. And then sometimes nothing catches, and so I just switch between pieces and, and try to tease out um, whatever's coming. And then when I get frustrated or hit a block, I switch to the other thing. Um, but it's definitely it definitely doesn't work when there's children's bedtimes and dinners to cook. <laughs> And all of that. I've never made that um, that balance work very well. So it's always saved for a time when I'm alone and it's quiet. Yeah, it's not a quick thing. No, except that it is. I mean, there are, there are pieces of writing. Um, the Blessed Be One, which I think I read at, at Brain Camp, um, you know, that came out so fast and furious that I wasn't even necessarily present for the writing of it. Um, the, there are a lot of pieces on my site that came that fast. Um, a lot of times those ones are scrawled handwritten first and then retyped later. But more often than not, it's a, it's a much more slow and deliberate process. Yeah, well, it seems like the sinking in is just as important as the writing for you. And so that part, you can't rush that part. Like, I'm fucking great right now. Here we go. Yes, I'm going to be inspirational and brilliant and... Three, two, one. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's. I wish that was how it worked, but <laughs> that would be great. Wouldn't it be? Uh-huh. That would oh. be fantastic. Okay, so I, I like that. I like the writing the infinite pieces and letting life support the writing. Mm-hmm. And what might that look like otherwise? Letting life support the writing. There's a certain um, amount of not making excuses, um, of, of accepting reality instead of struggling against it. So the reality is that I do, um, you know, work on the other side of town, and I can have 45 minutes to an hour and a half commute each way, and um, life is busy. There's a lot going on. Um, but finding a way for life to support, that doesn't mean right now that I can change any of those things. It means I've got to change something in myself to come to terms with it instead of saying, you know, 
stomping my foot and going, well, this is not fair. I'm here to write, and life is not cooperating right now. And I think probably <laughs> a lot of creatives, um, probably a lot of people are taking the course are in the same place. Well, I've got kids in the job and and someone I love and friendships and volunteer commitments and dang it, they're all keeping me and from Facebook it. and Instagram and a business and it's not yeah, easy. Yeah, well, don't don't forget Facebook. That's <laughs> important too. Um, so I definitely get caught up in my little foot stomping teenager mode often enough, and I think, well, I can't do this thing that I'm called to do until I've made all the other pieces fall into place. And so uh, there's a certain aspect of surrender, I think, to what is that's going to have to happen um, before I move from where I am to where I want to be. I don't think that life is going to switch around first. I think I have to switch around first. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think that ever goes away. I can't do this thing I'm called to do until all the other pieces fall into place. Like, there's always something mm-hmm. that you could be waiting to fall into place. Like, yes. Can't can't do this until I'm only I had, pounds. Yeah. Yeah. If only I had more money or more time or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then I could be the artist that I'm called to be. Um, and I don't think it matters if it's writing or photography or, or art or yoga or anything. And I don't even think it has to be something you're trying to do as a vocation. I mean, I think a lot of the people I write with aren't trying to be writers in the capital W sense of the word, uh, meaning they want to be published and they, um, you know, want to have a blog and they want to be a great success. Some of them just have a story they need to tell. And so I think we can hide from our art even when it's not something we're trying to make money on, Um, which is why I say I work with a lot of but I'm not a writer's. Yeah. Um, I hear that line a lot. I think we've kind of done that. The whole of society has made it so that unless Mm -hmm. you make money for something, it doesn't count. Right. You can't take this, you know, I I had this picture in my head a long time ago when I was at this point myself of claiming this, of myself standing in this big crowd um, and kind of the sea of faceless people and just me holding up this sign that said artist. And how naked that feels to just hold it up and say it. But um, there is a lot of sending of it. That's a real thing if it doesn't support you. You know, you're not a real writer if you don't have a book. Um, you're not a real photographer if you're not booked out for the next six months um, and have a full website and have everything perfect. And, you know, you're not a real artist unless your paintings are hanging in galleries. Um, and I think that that alone a lot of times keeps us from doing what we're here to do. I think we need some level of um, authenticity, external authenticity to validate what we're called to. Yeah, but you're never going to get enough of that if that's the <laughs> if that's the thing. Like, oh, I have to be in yeah. galleries. Oh, okay, well, now I have to be in the Met. And the, like, there's always yeah. going to be some other thing you can acquire before you're allowed to start. It's just... Brains are such assholes, and they take us to such terrible places. <laughs> but on the other hand, I do think that a certain amount of discomfort and dissatisfaction is part of the creative process, and that if we didn't have that, we wouldn't keep striving with whatever our particular art is. Um, I've, I've never met a satisfied creative, like a totally, really, really satisfied. Like, I'm good. I have reached the level that I need to get. <laughs> I'm going to keep producing here. All is well. I don't think that that really comes as part of the package very often. No. Well, how much would you want to punch them in the face? Right? 
<laughs> You're like, I am so good. I'm so good. Like, no, like I'm writing a fucking novel and it's fucking terrible. Like just every word that comes out, I'm like, why? This is oh, yeah. terrible. I feel that all the time. I'm like, this is sentimental drivel crap. It's just like everybody else's. And who am I to, you know, all of those things. But there's the part that's debilitating and it keeps you from the work. And then there's the part that's part of the drive. Um, and I think that a lot of the suffering that we go through is untangling which parts help and which parts hinder of that essential restlessness or dissatisfaction. Yeah. And part of it can also be just learning to move through the voices because they're not going anywhere. Nope. Unfortunately, if you're just, you're just waiting them out, they will win. <laughs> Although if I had to remove one voice, it wouldn't necessarily be my... Um, you know, the voice that puts down my art, it would be the seventh grade girl who, who puts down everything about me. <laughs> I could just get rid of her. Yeah, a seventh grade girl, she's a... Yeah, the one who's convinced that when you walk through a room, everyone is laughing at you. Yes, that one. That girl. That girl. But yeah, like the painfully awkward... Duh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's parts of us that never never quite escape that part. So it's not that one. It's not the the self-doubt, I think, that we all carry. I think there's a different sort um, when you're called to something. And when I say art, I want to be clear that I don't mean art in in the most literal sense. I think our art or our calling can be really anything. And for some people, it's what anyone else would call art at all, but it is that driving force inside you that that pulls you to this thing again and again and again. Um, I think whether it looks like art to the rest of the world, it has a lot of commonality. Yeah. Well, I think it's coming up on the shores of your calling, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not It's not like selling stickers on the sidewalk unless that is what you fucking plan on doing with your whole fucking right. life. Um, I wish someone sold stickers on the sidewalk. I, I would buy them. Right. Just walking along, this is, I just sell stickers. Why? Because you need one. You look like you need a rainbow unicorn today. That's what, this exactly. is it. That's my calling. Like a mix of tarot and stickers for like a quarter. Like, fuck yes. That would be perfect. Can someone who's listening to this call do that? I hope so. I want to eventually have one of those businesses, like the glitter bomb business. It's just like, oh, I just do yeah, this. I just, I just mail glitter to everyone all the time. And was, what I don't get about that thing is that it was supposed to be something you did for your enemies. And I'm like, I, I would do that for my friends. Because you know Twitter why is actually, yeah, why would, why, why, it's not an enemy thing. No, no. I think we, I think we might've talked about this before. Someone's response to glitter is actually like one of those test things. That and how they feel about the Goonies. Um, it's, well, yeah, if you hate the Goonies or glitter, the glitter, I, yeah, they're, they're not my people. How you can not like glitter and be listening right now, is it doesn't seem possible. <laughs> We've just shamed somebody. There's somebody out there on this call who's otherwise totally amazing. <laughs> like glitter, and they're sitting there feeling, they're sitting there just ashamed and small. I feel like we need to reach out and embrace them. Well, they should email me, and then I will send them a glitter bomb. We will change their mind about glitter. That's a serious yeah. offer. I will glitter Perfect. bomb the shit out of you. We'll, we'll, we'll spin that right around. Permission to glitter bomb me anytime. Dude, done. I believe you were promised a bag of dicks for this interview, though. So, I sorry. Yeah. It's okay. 
Actually, Which is also supposed to be a thing. mean thing. And I'm like, again, th- that's not mean. That's awesome. It would be interesting for me. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, they don't, they don't make gummy vaginas. I'm sorry. <laughs> is this where I come out on the phone call? <laughs> <laughs> I love all kinds, but they don't make gummy vaginas, people. Only gummy dicks, so that's what I send. I'm sorry. This is not um, very LGBT-friendly. <laughs> right? They don't. The, the they gummy don't world needs to that. work on it. They do. I need to work on that. So someone out Absolutely. there has a calling for this, I'm sure, as well. So now we've, we've got two business ideas right in this phone call. It's perfect. There it is. It's so if, if you've got gummies. people enrolled in the course that did not know what they were going to work on for their 69 days, two great ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's so good. Uh, lightning round questions, and then I might put something else. But are you ready? I maybe. Okay, these are actually really easy. Uh, <laughs> coffee or tea? Coffee. Cake or pie? Well, neither. Chocolate. <laughs> Just chocolate. All the All other right. ingredients like get it. in the way. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Uh, books or Kindle? Oh, books. Definitely. That is the appropriate answer. In it's front really of me, and the, I've, some of my shelves are triple stacked. Like, I, I can't. I know maybe I, I said I wouldn't do skinny jeans, and I did skinny jeans. I said I wouldn't do acid wash again, and I, I did acid wash. So I, I am open to the possibility that one day I may make the switch, but I simply can't imagine it being the same. I can't imagine that day coming. It's okay. But I, I will like a little old lady wash skirt if you want one. <laughs> On a great acid wash skirt, so anything is possible. Excellent. Your favorite way to connect with people online? I think I, I could not, I don't think I could narrow that down. Um, having lived and written my life online for so long, you know, since pre blog days. Um, and so much of my tribe being online connections, I don't think I could narrow down a favorite way. I'm, I'm, as much as people complain about it, as much as sometimes there's a push pull with social media, I'm so very grateful to all it's brought me. So, I'm, I'm pro online connections. Awesome. Your weirdest talent? Well, I don't know if it's the weirdest talent, but I tell people that my superpower is that I am not ticklish at all. That's kind of a talent in and of itself. It's really powerful. (laughs) Uh, The book you read most recently? Um, I am halfway through The Small Backs of Children by Lydia Yuknovich. I need to pick it up again. So I started reading it during my vacation, and I haven't gotten any reading time. Um, And if anyone has not read Lydia Yuknovich, just go out and buy the book. The end. Excellent. And your uh, your most tragic age appearance wise, and tell me all about it. Oh dear, um, I think all the way from ten through fourteen was pretty tragic. <laughs> when I was <laughs> when range. I was ten, it was, yeah, it was I was a late bloomer, Kristen, really late late bloomer. Um, when I was ten, I begged my mom to cut my hair because the two popular girls in class had short hair. Um, I actually also 
I, I also begged for a rat tail because that was a thing in 1985. Um, and so I had this terrible short hacked boy haircut. Um, was incredibly awkward. My grandparents bought me a pair of pleather pants, which I wore. I, I believe, I, I can't be right because I don't think my mom would have allowed it, but I feel like in my head I wore them every day. I also carried my cabbage patch doll to school. Wow. I know, it was bad. Wait, is this, is this simultaneously like cabbage patch doll with leather pants? Leather pants, short hacked boy hair. Oh, yeah, that all happened all at the same time. I feel like that's I will a find you a like, picture. I will find you a picture. Cabbage patch dolls and leather pants, they just seem so opposite. I was always a little different. <laughs> no, I was I was a profoundly awkward young teen. Very shy, painfully shy, profoundly awkward. Just never quite figured out what the other people figured out. And I think that's a good thing now. I think they're all very confused now, and you're not nearly as confused. I'm glad to hear you don't think I'm confused. That's good. I'm going to file that away. <laughs> I think you're confused. So you know how there are people that are confused, like, what what matters to me? Um, you're not confused about that. You're confused no. about, like, how do I make some shit, make more, some more money so that I can do some things. But as the deep, yeah. like, what do I know? Who am I? What do I believe? You have got that shit on lock. I, that is absolutely true. And I feel... Um, very, very blessed, I feel like. You know, I'm I'm going to be 40 in a couple of months, which is a huge kind of birthday for me to contemplate and comes with all kinds of other baggage and things to think about. But um, I knew what I was here for quite a while ago, and I, I know that most people search their entire lives trying to find that thing. Um, and I have my thing, and I know who I am, and the older I get, the more and more solid those get and the, and the tighter my boundaries um, of self get and... All of that. So, yes, definitely. Day-to-day confused all the time. But on the big things, I'm, and, and part of that, I think, in getting older, um, and part of what allows me to write and make art the way I do is the absolute certainty that I know nothing about anything. And that what I believe to be true today may not be true tomorrow uh, because I know how, how, how often that's happened in the past. And so that's the biggest freedom of growing older to me. It's actually not knowing anything. Isn't that freeing, though? Like, you don't have to know. so good. Yeah, it is so, so good. And it opens up a whole lot of doors of exploration and adventure and possibility that's not there when you're sure of everything the way you are in your earlier years. Yeah. That's good stuff. So the only other thing that's calling out to me is uh, talking about, you mentioned that um, being broke is your comfort zone. <laughs> yes. What, just, what, what is that about? Um, I think partly it's just growing up without a lot of money and always being very aware of um, my parents' financial situation. Um, and, and I say that saying that I had a absolutely wonderful upbringing and was raised in a house with openness and questioning and um, togetherness and family had everything possibly I needed in those directions, but was always very, very, very aware that money was always tight and that that was a stress, that that was the biggest stress point that there was, or at least in my understanding. Um, I read a book a few years ago, and I wish I could remember the author, but it 
helped you trace back your money stories. And um, I can remember being in fourth grade, I think, and David Moore, who sat behind me, telling me there was no Santa Claus and, and me arguing with all of my mind that, yes, there was a Santa Claus. Because, number one, he had written to me, and number two, there is no way my parents could afford two gifts. Oh. And so, you know, at that young, I had that that certainty. Um, and I think I've just carried that. I think that I have managed at various income levels through my adult life always to feel just on the edge of not being able to make it. Um and and the the household income that I believe has has spanned a great deal of ups and downs and, and it always seems to be in the same place. And so I understand that at some level I'm keeping myself there. Like I am I am the financial limit. Do I know it's possible to do what I do with writing and with helping people write and make gobs of money? Yes, I see people doing it. Um and then I actually understand a lot of the mechanics. So in my day job I work at um Infusionsoft, which has given me an incredible education in marketing automation and all the back end of things that I were such a mystery to me before. Um, and then doing B school, which I know you did too. So I have all of those pieces together. And so the only, the only possible explanation is that there's something in me I still have to work through to, to get past that and to start accepting what is available out there to me that I haven't reached yet. Um, I feel like you have a sort of theme of contracting and expanding um, oh, yeah. here. So <laughs> are you currently in a in a contraction or an expansion? I believe I'm at the beginning of an expansion right now. The first um taking the day job, which was the first first time I worked in corporate America ever and that was a year and a half ago, was a hugely difficult choice. Um, and I've told this story publicly before, but I got my offer letter. I was very grateful to have. I work with wonderful people in a great place, and I cried and cried and cried because it felt like a failure and it felt like giving up on myself. And then I think that most of the the first year of that, I spent trying to just negotiate this new reality that involved childcare and um, a whole new level of busy that I hadn't comprehended. And then also dealing with the emotional side of what that meant you know, that, that feeling that I gave up or, or didn't, could I have given it longer and could I have pushed harder and did I have to do this? Um, and so just now this spring, I feel like I started to come back around um, to myself and not calling that little nagging voice that says, no, we're not going to leave you alone. You don't get to be one of those people who goes to an office every day and collects a paycheck and comes home. That's not, that's not who you are and that's not what you're here for. So um, I feel like I contracted in in the ways that I had to because it, I, I had to relearn how to navigate things, um, and now I'm just starting to tiptoe out again. So this your request to interview me today and your course coming up came at a very fortuitous time. Fantastic. So if somebody wants to uh, go about the hard work of falling in love with you uh, on, <laughs> online, where do I, where do wow, I begin? Wow, it's hard work. That was that was sarcasm, baby. That was yeah, sarcasm. I'm, I'm making that clear, you know. Not everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, where, where I, do you suggest as a way into your work? 
the easiest way would be to go to peacelovefree.com, just all one word, and sign up uh, for my email list so that I can send you pieces of writing and um, further ideas about how to connect with me. There's there's information on how to work with me one-on-one on there. And then within the next six months, um, several different writing projects uh, should be launching both personal ones and, and things I'm working on in conjunction with other amazing writers. So um, if you're on my list, you can stay tuned and more information about those things will be coming your way. Along with lots Fantastic. of poetry and no no angsty teenage rhyming poetry, I promise, unless I decide to share some just for tits and giggles. <laughs> Um, but a lot of writing about about transition and about expansion and contraction and um, how to live, you know, how to walk through this world with a broken heart um, and how to heal and how to claim your space Um, and uh, write your life on your own terms. Well, yeah. Well, and yeah. if not your website, can I play? Where do you prefer to play? If we have to pick a a social media platform, um, I always Facebook, so you can search me by my name and um, friend me officially, uh, or you can find me at facebook.com/peacelovefree, which is uh, where I share a lot of my writing pieces, and then just daily, whatever quotes and bits of poetry and inspiration I find that inspire me, I share those. Um, and then I love Instagram as well. So that's just Jeanette LeBlanc, Instagram.com slash Jeanette LeBlanc. Those are my, and I'm on Twitter and I'm on Pinterest and all of that. But Facebook and Instagram is probably where you find the most of me. Awesome. Anything else that I haven't touched on that you want to share that you just do the thing? Talk to me. What do you think? <laughs> um if I had anything to say to anyone out there, it's that um, be be real and open about about your struggles and, and what you're working on. I think that this group that you've created is going to be a tremendous resource to a lot of people who, like me, have a calling and tend to hide from it. Um, but your art matters. What you want to make in this world matters so much. It is this vital life force, and, and we are surrounded so many times, especially in social media, with so much negativity and so much destruction that the act of creation, I believe, is becoming more and more powerful and more and more vital. So whatever it is that you're doing, whatever it is that you are creating in this world, um, no matter what it looks like to the outside and no matter what they call it, um, commit yourself to it in whatever way you can. We need it. We do. Oh, that's beautiful. Last question. If you could send a text to yourself uh, right now, could send a text to yourself from five years from now, what would you say? Oh, wow. (laughs) The first thing that came, so I'm going to say it, because then I, I thought it and then... Um, immediately wanted to take it back was that um, it never really was as hard as you thought, was it? Oh, that's a heartbreaker. <laughs> that's what came, and I really wanted to not say that out loud. So, no, thank you for showing up and telling the truth, and 
exploring in the messy bits, which is one of those things that you're like very, very best at. That part, that part I'm okay with. Yeah, most people aren't. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's part of having been out there with my story for so many years and, and having gone through some huge life transitions in a really public way. Um, now it's kind of here I am. This is it. This is contradictory, messy, um, figuring it out every step of the way. Me, take it or leave it. Which also may be an almost forty thing, the take it or leave it part. Yeah. It's really, really good. Well, so thank you for coming. And I'm going to hit the magical stop recording button now. Thank you for having Thank you for listening. One more time, The Antidote is a series of monthly gatherings to help you come back to your body, your being, and your breath when it's most likely that you'll self-abandon. The antidote is the antidote to trying to do everything all alone, all by yourself, while you grow more stressed and you're generally freaking out and telling everyone you're fine while quietly, or not so quietly, scream-sobbing in a private place between tasks. Let's not do that. Let's try something different. This is a really simple format, one gathering a month on the first Tuesday of the month until the 2024 election. So we're practicing the skills that we will need in November now, and we're getting really comfortable with body, breath, and being now, and that's available to you at jointheantidote.com. There's a free recording. You can sign up. You can get more details. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy.